In the gallant days when history hung on the flight of an arrow or the slash of a sword, when feudal barons ravaged the countryside to live in pomp and splendor, when one man alone dared challenge the might of his country's oppressors, Robin Hood, outlaw of Sherwood Forest and his stalwart band, robbing the rich to feed the poor, ready to fight for king, for country, or for maiden fair. Now this forest is wide. It can shelter and clothe and feed a band of good determined men, good swordsmen, good archers, good fighters. Are you with me? It's Errol Flynn as Robin Hood, Olivia de Havilland as Maid Marian, Claude Rains, Basil Rathbone, and a cast of thousands, reliving history's most colorful adventure. I suppose you realize the penalty for killing a king's deer is death. Are there no exceptions? Will you come with me? To Sherwood. I have nothing to offer you but a life of hardship and danger, but we'd be together. But I love you, Robin. I'd come. Even the danger would mean nothing if you were with me. Let me ram those words down his throat, Your Highness. From this night on, I use every means in my power to fight you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Film and Water Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me this week is our pal, Gene Hendricks. Gene, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good now that the snow is starting to melt. Yes, uh, we're very happy. Gene and I both live in New Jersey. Uh, please leave your jokes aside. And uh, <laughs> we're, But we were both sort of digging out of snow, and we luckily had a couple of days of uh, sort of warmish weather, and it's melted a lot of the snow, so... Yeah, I'm I'm perfect. I'm just in winter. I just hunker down, eat a bunch of food, and I'm just waiting till spring. That's all I really care about. It's so just... you're really a bear. Yeah, it, <laughs> bear, bears have it right. Uh, outside of uh, mauling Leonardo DiCaprio, I mean, they really have it right. Just go to. If I could, I would sleep from November through March and then just wake up. <laughs> I would really do that. It sounds fantastic. So, uh, anyway, Gene is here to discuss one of. Certainly one of the greatest adventure films ever made. Probably one of the greatest films ever made, period. You don't even need the qualifier there. Uh, 1938's The Adventures of Robin Hood, starring, of course, Errol Flynn, Olivia de Havilland, Basil Rathbone, Claude Rains, Patrick Knowles, Alan Hale, and a cast of others, or uh, yeah, a merry band of others, I should have said. So, uh, Gene, why did you want to talk about The Adventures of Robin Hood? Well, this is one of... The movies I remember growing up, it's, uh, it wasn't, I mean, this is back in the days before cable, but it wasn't on a lot, but it went, when it was on, I was transfixed. I was always in front of the TV. I've always loved adventure stories and medieval settings and things like that. And uh, as we were discussing before, like you, I actually saw this in relation to Bugs Bunny before I ever saw the movie itself. So right, I, right. I, I was immediately grabbed. It's like, wait, live action in a cartoon. I <laughs> must find out what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Gene's referring to, of course, the Bugs Bunny cartoon Rabbit Hood, uh, where uh, Bugs squares off against the sheriff of Nottingham. And it famously features a cameo by Errol Flynn uh, in a clip pulled from the movie at the end of the cartoon. And yeah, I'm, like Gene... I saw the Bugs Bunny cartoon long before I ever saw the movie. 
And yeah, that that live action clip was really like a sort of uh, you know real fourth wall breaker. You're like, wait, wait a minute, they can do that? They can put live action in the middle of a Bugs Bunny cartoon? And I never knew. Uh, I mean, I knew that it was a movie. I guess when I was a kid, I just didn't know what the movie was and probably didn't care just because I love Bugs Bunny so much. I went and looked it up, and I found out that in return for allowing a clip of himself to be used in the cartoon, Errol Flynn's uh, remuneration was a copy of the cartoon. No kidding. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I love the idea of that. Like this hard drinking guy that, like you know, went through women like a hot knife through butter, wanted a Bugs Bunny cartoon, and back then he had to have like the like the film cans. Yeah, he you know, had, I mean, he had it wasn't have, like he had a DVD of it or something. Yeah, he had to actually be able to have the film and a projector in order to watch it if he yeah, wanted. Yeah, I love that idea. That's really fun. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure with like a lot of people, that was their introduction to Robin Hood. And, uh, you know, Gene, I know that you have the same background as me in terms of, you know, comic books and superheroes. I always sort of lumped in Robin Hood as a character with superheroes because he looks like a superhero. He's wearing a costume. Obviously, Green Arrow is takes his mm-hmm. appearance right from. So, like, in my mind, I think that was... Um, like Robin Hood, Tarzan, Sherlock Holmes, like those characters, they're not superheroes, but they're, you know what I mean? They're not literary characters. They're not just literary characters either. And as I grew older and I started expanding my horizons in terms of like what I was reading, what I was watching, I kind of went to those characters first because they were the middle step between comic books and quote unquote real literature. Because the Merry Men look like they just look like a team of superheroes. I mean, Errol Flynn looks like a live action Green Arrow in this movie. Oh, yeah. And I mean, if you really think about it, Robin Hood, Zorro, 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 that's another one. Sure. They're they're all the basis of the comic book characters. I mean, Zorro is essentially the Latin Batman, right? He has his own cave. You know, the, the, the <laughs> Phantom is the same way. Right, you know, right, he right. His own cave, his own special mode of transportation, the <laughs> Playboy exterior hiding the Grim Avenger of the people. And Robin Hood is, is the same way without the Grim part. He's, he's more like Tony Stark. Yeah, I mean, this movie, Errol Flynn uh, was already a star when he did this movie. I should explain the plot for anybody who hasn't seen it. Here's a very brief version of the plot. Basically, this is right from IMDb. When Prince John and the Norman Lords begin oppressing the Saxon masses in King Richard's absence, a Saxon lord fights back as the outlaw leader of a rebel guerrilla army. Uh, like I said, that is you know, really the basic story. And it is uh, Errol Flynn, as I said, this movie, uh, Errol Flynn was already a star before he had done this movie. He was in Captain Blood before this. And and some other films that, that had made him famous. And he had worked with the director, Michael Curtiz, which is why they thought to pair them up again, even though apparently they did not get along at all. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a, I, was, I did a bunch of, you know, look up for trivia. And apparently there was a scene where uh, in a stunt, um, Errol Flynn got like poked with a prop sword and it was too sharp. Ooh. And it was sort of like, why was this sword so sharp? And Curtiz said something to the effect of because it looked more real people fought better with real props and when when Flynn heard this he climbed up onto to a scaffold that Curtiz was on while he was 
doing some other preparations with him, and he grabbed Curtis by the throat and said, "You know, does this feel more exciting to you?" And like almost choked the life out of Michael Curtis. So yikes! They did not. From what I've heard about Michael Curtis, uh, he was not the nicest guy in the world. He's directed some of the great movies. He directed Casablanca for Pete's sakes. Mm. He directed White Christmas, my personal favorite. But apparently, he was not the easiest guy to get along with. But um, yeah, this movie catapulted Errol Flynn from being a movie star to a legend. I mean, to an an icon of Hollywood. Because uh, despite the fact this movie is almost 80 years old, uh, to me it is still the definitive version of Robin Hood. Well, really, if you look at the story, this is the point where everyone, I I use the term, you know, for the public, everyone knows the Robin Hood story because of this movie. Yeah. I mean, for example, uh, one of the things I do when I read to my daughters, we read at old, is old Disney books that uh, there were, it was a four volume set, uh, tales of fantasy, tales from other lands, etc. One of them is Robin Hood. And in that, Robin is the son of Hugh Fitzooth, who is a forester working for the Earl of Huntington. And his father gets killed by the men of the brand new sheriff of Nottingham named DeLacy. Hmm. It has, and he, he has been wooing Marion, who is the daughter of the Earl. It has absolutely nothing to do with this, except there are some things like the, the Friar Tuck scene where they're crossing the river mm-hmm. is in that story. But this movie is the one that's cemented in everyone's minds. This is the right version of robin Hood. right <laughs> yeah yeah i mean despite the fact there's the kevin costner version which was a big hit at the time and there's uh robin and marion starring sean connery and then there was the one the gloomy one a couple of years ago starring russell crowe this movie is just so full of joie de vivre uh it's so even though it's you know fairly serious story claude rains is is you know driving his people into poverty mm. uh it it's got such a i mean flynn is just so terrific in it and he is he's the sort of template, even though, again, Douglas Fairbanks played Robin Hood before this and there were other adventure characters. He seems to be the template for movie adventure guys. I mean, when he shows up at the castle and basically gets in uh, uh, Prince John's face and they basically, you know, they say, OK, arrest him. And he does that thing where he flips the chair backwards mm. like that is just such a like a kind of a, a, a like a badass ballsy kind of move. And he, and he runs away and manages to get out of all these guys chasing him. Like, he just has – he seems to have no real worry about his own physical safety, which is fun to watch because you're just like, wow, this guy is just he's, – he's Indiana Jones minus any sort of lack of confidence. I mean he just is so sure of his duties that it's, it's really uh, quite enjoyable. And I don't think there is a scene where Flynn isn't smiling or just looking like he's having the time of his life. Yeah, well, there are there are some some things where it's more serious, like where he's getting uh, sentenced to death by Basil Rathbone, right? And he's he he's flippant with his like, um, you know, haven't you forgotten a few charges? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, there was this the uh, scene uh, earlier where he is sitting with Maid Marian, who they never actually call her that. I think in the movie they never actually call her Maid Marian. They, but he, they but call he, her Marian. Marian, right. But he's sitting across from Maid Marian and he's very, as you mentioned, he's being very flippant. And she says something like, what is it? What's the line? She says, you're, you're, uh, you, 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 you speak of treason. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, you speak treason. Was he says, the, her line is exactly, you speak treason. And he's and like, he, fluently. Yes, it's <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I, I, it's it's interesting about that scene because at, as I've you know gone on in life, I've learned a lot about medieval culture and the way the social social hierarchy was. And in that feast scene, they have it's set up very well because you have the two side tables, then you have the high table where you have Prince John, Marion, Gisborne, the sheriff, and the bishop, and then the table right across from them with the three knights. Well, except for the high table, that table across from them was the highest status seating because mm-hmm. you're across from not only the prince but your host and you know everybody else, you know all the nobility there. So when John tells the one knight to give Robin his place, it's it, it's just this huge breach of etiquette, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's why everyone looks shocked. And then he, you know, this guy that just got the best seat in the house is insulting his host. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Robin does. Robin is uh, noble. I mean, he is uh, he is nobility, and he has a lot to lose by being so. For the people. I mean, that is part of the reason that Robin Hood is just such an enduring character is that this is a guy that he's not a he's not he's not a a guy who's being ground under the heel of Prince John and fights for his own, you know, fights for his own benefit. He's fighting for other people's benefit, even though he himself has a lot to lose. And I think, again, that's what makes him such a such a compelling figure in history and in this movie. Um, Some of the other performances you mentioned, Basil Rathbone. Basil Rathbone, you know, one of the greats, a guy that could play play heroes and villains mm-hmm. seemingly simultaneously. Uh, he's terrific in this movie. I mean, he's he's uh, Prince John's right hand man. He's the one that actually has to go carry out all this stuff, and he gets a great sword fight with Errol Flynn at the end. Um, Claude Rains, always one of my favorites. Yes, one of the great screen villains of all time. Although he was terrific in The Wolfman, where he's very sympathetic. But I always thought Claude Rains, and he's such a great fop. In this movie. I mean, he's just such a, like, you know, and he would have made a great Batman villain, I feel like, like, on the TV show or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, him and the Batman TV show, I think, crossed paths by a year or two. I think Claude Rains died in the mid-60s. He must have been too old by that point. But he would have made, like, a great Mad Hatter or, or Riddler or something. He just has that kind of foppish... You know, yes, Batman. He just—he he, was—he's never—he's never gonna get his hands dirty. He's gonna—he's ha- gonna assign that task to somebody else because he's just too comfortable sitting on like his plush chair. Right. Yeah. But especially in this movie, you—you you see how he can flip the switch. He goes from being uh hes you know, happy bantering back and forth with Robin, and then all of a sudden it's like, nah, kill the bastard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he seems to kind of arbitrarily decide to, to to bring the heel down on all his people, kind of just on a whim, really. I mean, he's just sort of like he's he's already the king. I mean, he's already doing pretty well. I mean, yeah. he, he's doing it to consolidate his power, but it's like he's already doing pretty well, and he just decides to just be even meaner about it. And, and Reigns was just so so terrific at, at that. Oh yeah, uh, he he did a, a wonderful job. But you can tell again it, it goes from the. Uh, the way people thought at that point, yes, he was regent. And this is another thing that I, I noted in the banquet scene. At the beginning of the movie, you have a, a narration card, essentially. Right, right. And it tells you Richard's off on the crusade, he's appointed his friend, Lanshan regent, etc., etc. Well, at the banquet scene, you get John, I can't remember exactly who mentioned Longchamp, but John said, I kicked him out. 
I am now regent. And everyone gives, even his supporters give him this look like, are you kidding? <laughs> You're nuts. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's, oh no, we must show loyalty to him, etc. But John is, he's always been about getting the crown. It was famous uh, infighting between the brothers after the eldest, who would have been Henry III, died. Richard and his two brothers were fighting to see who was going to be the successor. Hmm. And John was actually his father's favorite. And Richard was his mother's favorite. Aha. Uh-huh. And they were fighting back and forth eventually because Richard would keep the kingdom intact because he was he was a warlord. He knew how to fight battles. That's why he got the crown. But John always wanted it. So he took this opportunity of Richard getting kidnapped on his way back from the Crusades to say, oh, no, 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 we'll ransom him. Give me the money. I will consolidate. And that's, he wants, in the movie, they, Richard shows up mysteriously. He sneaks back into England. Right, and, they, right. and they try and kill him because if he's dead, then John automatically becomes king. Right. Because Regent's not enough. He's got to be king. There's a line near the end of the movie where, where Richard returns and he doles out the punishment to little John, Prince John. And he says, ba- you are basically the little uh, Prince John. I keep saying little. Prince John <laughs> is banned from the kingdom until I am dead. Well, what a motivation to have Prince John kill you then. I mean, I would think you would ban him, period. For, would, until John is dead. Yeah. Yeah. You would not ban him. It's like. You're not going to get my throne unless I'm dead. Well, you've just given me a pretty good motivation to do that. <laughs> King Richard King Richard was feeling very confident. I'm guessing he figures he's got Robin Hood looking after him. So what right. the hell? Yeah. Um, we are jumping ahead a little in that that line does seem to presuppose a, a sequel. And they plan to make a sequel to this movie because it was a giant hit. It was the oh, most. Yeah. It was the most expensive movie Warner Brothers had made to that point, but it made its money back and like, double over. But they never made a sequel uh, because over time, uh, apparently, wartime uh, movie budgets were restricted during World War II, and by the time that that eased, uh, both Olivia de Havilland and Claude Rains were no longer at Warner Brothers, and they felt as though they couldn't do it without those two, so they just never made a sequel. So, it, again, this sort of stands as one of the rare times of something that was such a massive hit and really could have been made into several films, and they never got around to it. So this film stands by itself. It's the one time yeah. Errol, Errol Flynn played played Robin Hood. Um, I also feel like this part of the reason this movie is still so famous is it is one of the most beautiful movies ever made. Oh, yes. It, it, is... it, was, it was the first color picture Warner Brothers ever made. Yeah. And you can tell they just threw everything at it. It's gorgeous from the costuming to the sets. The music is amazing. And it, it just, even today, you look at it and it holds up. There is nothing in this movie that looks dated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is the movie people think about when you hear the phrase Technicolor. I mean, they're, I mean, Gone with the Wind certainly and uh, Wizard of Oz, but I feel like this movie is like the ultimate example of what Technicolor was. And I think Warner Brothers was, was suggesting that even because on the DVD, which is the one I have, it comes with a documentary about Technicolor, an entirely separate, like two hour long documentary huh. about Technicolor. And I feel like because the, the greens and the I mean it is just um, as as I've mentioned on Fire and Water and I've mentioned on Film and Water ad nauseum. Like I have a real affinity for like the 30s and 40s and especially sort of like California at that time. I just have a an old movie lots and all that stuff. Like to me, you know, 
I, I'm sure I was reincarnated from someone that worked in Hollywood in the 30s and 40s. <laughs> and um, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but a bunch of years ago, I was at the uh, San Diego Comic Con. And a friend of mine uh, and I took a cab somewhere, and the cabbie was an older guy, and he was like in his 60s or 70s, and we started getting to talk about San Diego and Los Angeles, and he was telling us that he lived in Los Angeles in the 40s and and 50s. And he said, oh man, he goes, it was quite, in his eyes, he's like, it was quite literally like a paradise, because the weather was perfect, it wasn't too crowded, Uh, he's like, it was just the most relaxing, beautiful place. And, and I just, that just cemented it in my head. And when I think of that guy telling us those stories, I think about this movie because they were all outside. They shot a lot of it up in these California forests. It just looks like, it just looks beautiful. (laughs) It's so beautiful to look at. Yeah. It's amazing. And not just the look of the movie, but like you, you were just rattling off actors in here and you, it's amazing how many character actors they have that you look at them and it's like, oh, yeah, I've seen him in this, this, and this. Like, uh, Much, the Miller's son. Mm-hmm. And Bess, who is the handmaid. Una, Una O'Connor, the, the wonderfully shrill Una O'Connor yes. plays Bess from The Invisible Man and The Bride of Frankenstein. And uh, she was James Whale's favorite shrieking harridan. He just loved her. <laughs> yeah, but you have all these people in somewhat minor roles that just are having fun with it. You can tell that they're enjoying themselves in this action adventure movie. And that just adds so much. And even, even the stunt men who were a little leery of, you know, doing some of the scenes because they had to wear blocks of wood and actually get shot with arrows. I love that factoid (laughs) that this is not fake. These were people. And it wasn't like they shot the arrow, they stuck the arrow and then yanked it out and reversed the film. They literally had a guy on the set who was an expert marksman, an expert archer, and he hit people in the chest with real arrows, and they filmed it. Yeah. I and love that. He's the guy that was responsible for the splitting the arrow scene. Right, right, right. In here. Uh, and he was actually in that scene. Were you aware of that? That's right. Yes, yeah, yeah. he's in the, yeah. I guess he was, they didn't need him to act too much. No, uh, Howard Hill. He, he played Elwin the Welshman, who shows up and then gets defeated and... If you know he is the master archer of everyone, the little temper tantrum he throws walking off after being defeated right, is right. that much funnier. <laughs> I just love the idea that that's back when they made movies back then. You're like, all right, let's just shoot a bunch of guys in the chest with arrows. It'll probably be all right. You know, yeah. it'll be fine. That's the ultimate practical effect right yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, my God. And that sound effect, the, like, that little of the arrow yeah. flying, that is Ben Burt's favorite sound effect. Yeah, that's I amazing. I love that. And he, and he put, he's, apparently he put it in all of his movies. I, I can I, see that. Yeah. yeah. That's just fantastic. Yeah, you mentioned the cast. Uh, like I said, I mentioned Olivia de Havilland plays Maid Marian. She and Flynn did eight movies together. Uh, this was the third of, of eight, which proved that she was a good sport. Because <laughs> uh, uh, apparently Errol was not always the most professional in the world. Mm. Um, Olivia de Havilland, still alive. She is going to turn 100 this year. No kidding. But she is still her and her sister Joan Fontaine both lived uh, extraordinarily long lives. Joan Fontaine just died a year or two ago at like age ninety eight, um, or maybe even older. But Joan Fontaine will turn one hundred this year, which is mm. amazing. I just like to think about that. There's somebody who filmed Robin Hood is still around. Wow, that is. Amazing. I would love to see her. I, she's probably you know not not one for public appearances, but boy, I would love to see her. 
like on the Oscars or something. Oh, yeah. It's Olivia de Havilland. It's like, what a name. You know, there's so few of those people around. That's amazing. Um, have you seen other of Errol Flynn's movies? I mean, are you oh, a particular yes. fan of Errol Flynn? Oh, yeah. Errol Flynn is great in pretty much anything he does. I've seen him in Westerns, in Sea Pictures, in this. He he just – he's amazing. And, again, like in this, it it's always seems like he's enjoying himself in the picture. Yeah. Even though, from what I understand, he was riddled with phobias. Really? I don't yeah, think, I, think uh, I knew that. The – the actor that plays Will Scarlet, I can't think of his name. Patrick Knowles. Patrick Knowles. Er, er, like his best buddy, those two. Yeah. Uh, he was a pilot, and he would always – he would fly Errol Flynn around, and Flynn would be petrified because one of his phobias was vertigo. Huh. But Knowles would actually do that on purpose. It's just <laughs> – like okay yeah well yeah we're we're gonna fly level sure we're gonna fly level. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those wacky guys. <laughs> yeah, but that's how good of friends they were. He could do that, and Flynn would go up with him again. <laughs> wow, jeez. Yeah, I knew that. I mean, everybody has heard that. You know, Errol Flynn was a hard partying guy. Drank a lot. He married a bunch of times. Um, he, I think, his last wife was like fifteen. Or something. Uh, he famously uh, stole John Barrymore's corpse uh, <laughs> as a as a practical joke to to scare someone. Uh, so I mean, he was. I, I feel like he's the kind of guy that if you weren't like a hard partier dude, he probably was really difficult to be with. But if you were that kind of guy, he was probably your be- your best pal, probably the most oh, fun yeah. guy to be around because he probably had a ton of money. He's running around being a pirate most of the time, or as you said, like a Western guy. I mean, he was in so many great movies, Dodge City and the Charge yeah. of the Light Brigade and all these, you know. Um, and again, Captain Blood, the Seahawk. I mean, he played all these kinds of parts. So, yeah, he was tremendous. It is amazing to think that Warner Brothers originally wanted to make this movie with James Cagney. Uh, I can't picture James Cagney as Robin Hood. No. I just cannot with that pug face and that kind of that, that kind of delivery. I can't – welcome to Sherwood. Like, like, I know that's more that's more Evergy Robinson than it is James Cagney. <laughs> I just can't – I just can't really picture that. But, I mean, James Cagney was their biggest star. So I guess any movie featuring a hero part naturally went to that guy. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, they definitely made the right decision because you look at the – you look at all the roles in here. It's like I can't – picture anyone else playing little john but alan hale yeah because he, he just does such a great job with it and it's probably because this is the second time he's done it he was alan hale in the douglas fairbanks version or he was uh little john douglas fairbanks version I should right say. right yeah. right and but and the the best part about that is you can tell when they first meet it's the typical quarterstaff fight which is now a trope in everything right but you can tell that Little John is – he's not in any danger at all. He's just having fun. Right. And when Robin finally gets a little too annoying, that's when he just you know hits him in the foot, <laughs> smacks him in the back, and knocks him in the river. <laughs> okay, this isn't fun anymore. Wham. Wap, wap, wap. Yeah, he just dunks Errol Flynn right in the water. Yeah, that's – yeah. <laughs> I like that too because, I mean, it's like it's, – I always thought that like it's kind of like the Justice League. You need to have everybody has to have their special skill. Mm-hmm. And so the guy with the staff should be the best guy with the staff. He right. should be better than Robin Hood. Kind of like to me, the Flash should always be faster than Superman because that's the Flash's thing. Yeah. You know, if Superman's faster than a Flash, what do you need Flash for? 
So, you know, I like the idea that Robin Hood's, you know, he's great at a great many things. And, of course, he's the best archer. But in terms of the the other things, you know. And then you've got Friar Tuck as sort of like their spiritual leader. And, and a great swordsman. And a great swordsman. I mean, they all have their own, you know, again, they're the, they're the first Justice League. You know, it was really yeah. the Merry Men. Uh, did you have any of the, did you have any Migos growing up? I did not. I was a, I was a little too young for Mego. Okay. Uh, so I, I skipped over that all completely and went right to the Star Wars and G.I. Joe three right. and quarter inch stuff. Mego did do a Robin Hood line, not based on this movie, but just mm-hmm. Robin Hood because it was out of copyright. And they are beautiful dolls. I mean, they did a really, really – they really went all out and all the characters had all their accessories and stuff like that. And um, – I mean, the Mego Green Arrow was one of the best Migos ever done, and so they just use the same basic molds and all the same stuff. But the and they come the the packaging comes in like this like old timey looking box with the with that kind of like Robin Hoodie font. So they really oh, wow. yeah they're gorgeous. They they're the kind of things I don't collect really much of anything anymore. But if I had money to buy Migos, I would get those because they're just so beautiful to look at. And they the colors are beautiful, which again I think is reflecting this movie. Is oh yeah, you know, you think of Robin, and that's just why it's funny to me of like. I know the idea nowadays is to do everything grim and gritty and realistic, but a a, a, a mud soaked, grimy looking Robin Hood. It doesn't we, inspire a lot. No, it, it seems you know like why do I want to look at that? <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing: if you're going to go realistic, you can't do Robin Hood because yeah. Robin Hood was never a historical figure. Never. I okay, everyone that I just upset. <laughs> never. He was never a historical figure. Robin Hood was a story. It was a story told. Originally, Robin Hood was this guy who was so good at stealing that he was able to lend people an enormous amount of cash and not worry about it. He didn't give them money to the poor. He was a thief. <laughs> and the fact that he had a longbow at uh, supposedly during the time of Richard the Lionheart, sorry, they didn't exist yet. Aha. Welsh Longbow did not come into use until about 100 years after Richard. Look at you dropping the knowledge, Gene. I didn't know (laughs) any of this stuff. So the one thing about Robin Hood is there's no no way to make it historically accurate, so just have fun with it, all right? (laughs) Well, where does – okay, well, then maybe you don't know this, but I've never – where does the Robin Hood's death – figure into it was that a later story or is it all part of the same story it's it's a bunch of different ones it's okay. it's like the the legends of king arthur that mallory sir thomas mallory just took all these various stories from the continent from england from wherever and kind of squished them together huh, same okay same thing with robin hood you have all these different tales he was either from the north or he was from Wales, or he was from over here, he's from over there. He was a he was a noble, he was a commoner, he was uh, a crusader, or whatever. But it's all these different stories. It's all local folk folk legend. So you have, and eventually, about four hundred years after the oral tradition, you had people start writing them down. Oh. So yeah, a lot of morphing going on there, and eventually you had people. That's why you can have three different movies starring Robin Hood, and none of them are the same person. Like I said, the, there was a movie out that he's the son of a forester working for the Earl of Huntington. In another movie uh, made by Hammer, actually, 
He is the Earl of Huntington. There's a Hammer-made Robin Hood movie? There's a Hammer-made Robin Hood movie. I gotta find that. that yeah, I saw cool. that a couple months ago, actually. It was on uh, Turner Classic Movies. Is it any good? It's decent, yeah. I mean, as you look at it as a different take, it's uh, more or less in that movie, Robin gets outlawed because he's opposing these two brothers getting their inheritance. Like, the, huh. their father is dying, and he prefers Robin over them. Oh, wow. I don't think I've ever even heard – Christopher Lee isn't in it, right? No. Okay. No, uh, it's too uh, bad. He would have been the perfect <laughs> – he would have been, been perfect in that movie. It's a guy of Gisborne or something, but – Yeah, no right. kidding. Huh. Interesting. Oh, I didn't know any of that stuff because I always had heard, you know, the, the final chapter of Robin Hood is when after he dies and they shoot the arrow into the, into right. the woods and where, it, where the arrow lands is where Robin Hood will be buried. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. that was just somebody else coming along later and deciding to do their own version of The Dark Knight Returns. They're like, all right, got to write the final chapter of this Yeah, story. pretty much. Huh. Yeah. That's amazing. I didn't know yeah. any of that. Yeah, I mean, Robin Hood, is it's he's a folk hero. He, there's a lot of tales told of him. Not all of them are going to match up. So mm-hmm. this movie just is one take on it. And it's, it's probably because it's the first take I saw. Mm-hmm. But this is the one I tend to cleave towards. Right. But the other ones are interesting in their own way. Yeah, it's it's probably the first one that everybody could – first of all, it was massively popular. And so it's just – as you mentioned, showing it on yeah. TV, it shows up a lot. I mean there was a very popular one in the 20s that's a silent version. But silent movies are for most people impossible to see mm-hmm. uh, in terms of to watch. They don't run them on television very much. I mean silent – people can – you know, a kid could watch a movie from 1938 in, in color – and it seems to a small child relatively like the same kind of movie that they would see in nineteen, you know, nineteen eighty eight or nineteen ninety eight. But a silent film, that's real different. It feels like a foreign language almost. So I think that's why this version is like, you know, it's it, it's able to trump the silent version because it's it's just it still has all the same modern trappings as a movie today has. It may look a little old fashioned, but it sounds and looks relatively like what you're familiar with as a movie. Yeah, and because it's a period piece. Right, you don't right. you don't have anything that dates the film. You you don't look at it and say, "Oh, look at that '80s hair," or "Oh, look at that '60s car," or whatever. Right, right, right. It you know it's supposed to be in the 12th century, so that's you you just accept it. Oh yeah, okay, that's fine, no problem. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention before I forget uh, is in terms of Robin Hood being a hero, a folk hero, he was certainly a real-life hero to the guy that scored the movie. I, I always forget to mention the music in these movies, and you mentioned ah. it earlier. The guy that did the music is a composer named Eric Wolfgang Korngold, and apparently he lived in Austria and was fam- a famous composer, and Warner Brothers asked him to do the music, and he did not picture his music paired up with this sort of like big popular popcorn-y type thing, uh, but he realized that the Nazis were moving their way across Austria, and he realized he had to get him and his family out of Austria, and he needed money, so he took the job, went to California, and stayed in the United States the rest of his life, and was able to live there because of the earnings he made from Robin Hood and from scoring other films. And for, apparently, till his dying day, he thanked Robin Hood for escape, for having him escape the Nazis. Wow. He always said, thank you to Robin Hood, because it got me out of Austria before it was conquered by Hitler. Yeah, and uh, you can tell that he 
he paid tribute to that in the film because the music is spectacular. Yes, it is. It gives you the everything, whatever mood you you need to be in, dramatic, comedic, high adventure. It is right there. I mean, I I got it running through my head right now. You yeah, know, I, I'm not I'm not like Scott Gardner. I I am not super keyed into the the score of the film, but this mm-hmm. is one of those things where you just hear da 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 da. It's stuck in your head. I'm like that with Superman. I can't, you know, <laughs> the Superman theme is just so burned into my head. So, right. yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a truly remarkable movie. And one of the, the, this will be the last thing that I have to mention. I want to make sure that I mention is uh, Warner Brothers did a wonderful DVD release of this. This was back when, you know, not all that long ago, 10 years ago, the DVDs were still making money <laughs> and they put a lot of money. But so the Warner Brothers DVD release of this is a two disc set. Uh, it comes with the movie. It comes with the commentary track, the Technicolor documentary, which I already mentioned. Both Warner Brothers cartoons related to Robin Hood, uh, uh, Rabbit Hood, and then the one with uh, Daffy Duck. Uh, it, it comes with uh, like this um, a Night at the Movies featurette where they paired up like a newsreel and previews and all stuff that you would have seen in 1938 before Robin Hood. I mean, they really went and dug into the archives to find all this stuff. And they did that for a bunch of their movies to really make the release special. Mm-hmm. And uh, they don't do that anymore because nobody really bothers with DVDs anymore. It's all going to be streaming pretty much. Uh, but this is – like if you're a moderate fan of Robin Hood, I think the DVD release will make you a super fan because it's just such a nice presentation. Mm. And Warner Brothers did that with a bunch of their movies and I have a, I have a bunch of them and they're really – really beautiful and so this movie deserves it uh the, the the poster is beautiful the painted poster is just gorgeous which they turn into the dvd sleeve it's just you know like a class act from beginning to end oh yeah it sounds great i mean i i've seen this movie in various forms the, the one the version i watched for it uh for this recording today was actually a it's on dailymotion.com they have the whole movie on there wow so you can just go online and watch Robin Hood. <laughs> you have no excuse, everybody. It's super yeah. easy to watch. Yeah, for free, whole movie. Just go watch it. it. It's it's less than two hours. It is worth it, and it flies by. Oh, it I does. Mean, it flies, it, it, it is, the yeah. movie does not stop. It just it, from the first scene, it just goes, goes, goes. You're always going between different either action pieces or character beats or whatever. It's it doesn't stop and take a breath at all. Yeah, and it said it, Michael Cortese did a superb job. Again, he was one of the great directors. Maybe not a great person, but one of the great directors of all time. He knew exactly how to end his movie. Apparently, there's a uh, – uh, in the trailer, there's a scene of Robin and Marion kissing, and that takes place – that's a scene that was shot after the final scene in the movie, but it was cut. The movie, mm. the movie ends uh, with Robin and Marion going off and the doors to the castle shut and you don't see them again. It's the perfect way to end the movie. Oh, it uh, is. I would, not want to, I would not want to have seen another scene with Robin and Marion after that. And so even though that scene's in the trailer, Curtis knew to cut it because uh, the movie ends exactly where it should end. Yeah, you just had the big celebration. Richard's back on the throne. Everyone's happy. Robin's has lands and title restored and close the doors. Bring the curtain down, you're done. Yep, we're done. We're out of here. So, yeah, it's a fan- absolutely fantastic movie. So um, I guess we should wrap up here. Is there anything else you want to say about Robin Hood before we, well, before we sign off, Gene? Well, really, just one thing. And that's for those people that look at this as, oh, this is a 
just a stupid adventure movie or whatever, uh, first of all, you're wrong. It's not stupid. <laughs> but secondly, if you want some depth, this movie is – I don't know if they intended it that way, but it is a study in old-style racism. <laughs> because now who doesn't enjoy that? <laughs> well, because if you think about it, way back when there was no such thing as white. There was Norman and there was Saxon. They were two different races in people's minds. So if you go through the movie and you replace the word Norman with white and the word Saxon with black, you get all kinds of new meaning in there. Mm. <laughs> uh, but that's if you really, really want to go in to the movie with a heavy kind of attitude. Right. But this is not for that. This is a fun film. This is actually, and believe it or not, my wife had never seen it before I introduced it to her. Mm -hmm. And it has since become her favorite movie. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that a yeah. nice feeling when you introduce someone to a movie and then they it becomes part of their life like that? Yeah. That's a great well, feeling. She, her favorite Disney film is Robin Hood. Oh, wow. Okay. So she all she liked the story, and it's essentially the same story, just with animals. But here, it's just, it's so well done. It's so well written, acted, shot, scored. It is the, if you're going to watch any adventure movie this is the one yeah it's adventure it, it, the genre is always called action adventure this is adventure yeah this has that just that beautiful kind of feel to that word it's such a romantic word to say adventure and it did that's just really what it is so yeah it's a wonderful movie it's a it's a classic uh it completely holds up even though it's, it's almost 80 years old so if you haven't seen it go see it i said gene just told you you can see it for free right now so you have no excuses for seeing The Adventures of Robin Hood. Um, so that is going to do it for this episode. Gene, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me on. It was really, really fun. That's great. Uh, where can people find you on the interwebs? Well, if you want to read stuff I do, every Thursday you can go over to thehammerstrikes.com. That's my blog of all things geeky. And it's... There's really no common theme. It's just whatever pops into my head. <laughs> Actually, the one coming up this coming Thursday will be about this movie. Because since I was watching it for this show, I got inspired and, well, this is the kind of things I like about it. So I wrote something on that. Very cool. Or, you know, what it, it could be any of a number of things. Like this past week was why... Bruce Banner doesn't have my sympathy anymore. Uh, right, I just read that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if you want to hear me talk about these kinds of things, you can go over to twotruefreaks.com. I have a number of shows over there, the Hammer Podcast, the Quantum Cast, Anime Freaks, and I tend to guest on a number of shows because <laughs> it's less work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for doing the show. I appreciate it, and I look forward to having you on again. Oh, I would definitely look forward to that anytime you want to do something medieval on there. <laughs> I guess I guess feel like there's a pulp fiction joke there, but okay, let's <laughs> let's let's end the show. Uh, everybody, thanks so much for listening. If you want to email the show, firewaterpodcast at concast.net. Please follow the show on Twitter and the hashtag the uh, address is at film and water pod. Again, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for Gene for coming on, and until next week, that's a wrap. 
Uh, don't you worry. Never fear. Uh, yeah, I know. Robin Hood will soon be here. He robs from the rich and he gives to the poor. Yo-ho, we go skipping trolla through Sherwood Forest, helping the needy and the oppressed. Eh, uh, you've been saying that through the whole picture. Well, where is he? Oh, you should not talk mean like that, because there he is. Welcome to Sherwood. That's silly. It couldn't be him. 